Welcome to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. My name is Susie Collick. I'm a violent crime survivor, a martial artist, and I'm the founder of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense. And I'm Homey Vaseem, a fitness professional and certified Pretty Deadly trainer living in Islamabad. You're listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. Okay, Susie, so you have taught self-defense in multiple countries and across multiple cultures, and I find that really exciting. Um, you've taught in now in Pakistan, Nepal, UK, France, Germany, USA, and South Africa. I you might Uganda be Uganda more than South Africa. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. Um, I'm wondering what are some of the commonalities that people have in their attitudes to self-defense, and also the differences that you have noticed in their attitude to self-defense, and as well as the application of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a big question, actually, but also a really fascinating one. Mm-hmm. The 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 easiest way for me to start with that is the attitude. I think um, in European countries, it well, sort of more Nordic European countries, um, women have the attitude that self defense is kind of a no brainer. They're not afraid of learning it so much. Um, they may feel like here in Germany, a lot of women sort of will publicly say, oh, there's equality and, and it's safe here and we don't need it that much. But then in private, they will also admit that there's a lot of, you know, street harassment and all the things that women experience everywhere. But they don't shy away from learning it so much and they don't shy away from um, training hard. Right. Whereas, um, and they, they don't, it doesn't, for them, it doesn't really put their femininity into question so much. Whereas when I was in France, things have changed in France a little bit since I lived there, but in France and, um, Spain and Italy, it's, it, it's more a question of femininity you know, those questions that we talked about in the last episode, will this make me a bitch? Will it make me unfeminine? Um, is it very ladylike? So, you know, the reason that it's called Pretty Deadly is because I was thinking of the women that I used to work with in France and the women that I used to speak with in Paris who would swear up and down that, you know, oh, there's no sexual harassment here, even though it's like every second of every day. But it's, you know, in the way that women are are centered in French culture and the way that women are treated in French culture. And by treated, I don't mean that as a negative or a positive. I just mean the way that women are treated. So it's a, uh, it, it was funny to me that, you know, they were like, oh, we don't need self-defense. But when I dug a little deeper, it was a fear of, you know, I don't want to be masculine. And so the reason that we're called Pretty Deadly is because it's a fun play on words, but it was an answer to the French women that I had previously worked with to show like, you can be pretty and you can be deadly. You can be both of those things at the same time. Oh, I didn't know there was another deeper meaning to Pretty Deadly self-defense. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's got, you know, it's a, like I said, it's a fun play on words. So there's that in, um, in places like Pakistan and Nepal um, and Uganda, where 
I think it's things can sometimes be a bit more conservative as far as cultures go. There's absolutely a need for self-defense that's recognized in all of those countries. Um, but there can be an even bigger gap between I don't want to be defeminized by learning self-defense. Hmm. So one of the, um, we, our trainer Zipporah in Uganda was explaining to me that most young women spend all of their extra money and time making themselves very beautiful um, because they want to get a husband. That's the, that's the main goal is to yes. get married. The dream. Yeah. And they felt that if they learned self-defense, it would make them too masculine and unattractive to men. And when we were talking about this, I was saying, well, I mean, what if we, what if we remind them that if you're going to invest all this time and money in yourself to be attractive, wouldn't you invest in some kind of insurance? Because mm -hmm. the last thing you want is some strange guy to come along and ruin it all. Yeah, you have a point there. But I'm just thinking, I don't know much about Uganda, but I'm guessing it's also collectivist society like Pakistan. And mm -hmm. they can live with their parents and parents get to have a say in whether they will be taking these classes or not. So mm -hmm. I think parents would not be very much in favor of them learning self-defense as it could decrease their desirability in the marriage market, which is similar in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, men or the, yeah. the suitors' mothers might have an issue with a woman who can actually hit back or you know, stand up. <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I, we didn't really um, talk about a parent's view on it, but, but that's an interesting relationship as well as with Nepal, where it's the same women will live with their parents until they're married. Yeah. And, and families are so close in Nepal anyway. I mean, people are really like deeply integrated in their families. And when they marry someone else, then it's, you know, combination of the two families so there is also, a, I think, a bit of a concern from a parental view of, you know, of independence. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that sort of fear of like, if you learn self-defense, you're going to be too independent and then you're not going to be, you're not going to do the things that we want you to do as a member of the family and in your role as a woman in this family. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with travel and going out there because they might not be allowed to do that previously? I I mean, I think it depends, you know, on your socioeconomic background or, you know, Nepal also has a caste system, so it depends on your caste as well. But yeah. it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a big fear for a lot of people. You know, if, if learning self-defense can make someone too independent, can make someone, you know, be able to stand up for themselves etc. Meaning from like a, a an in-laws kind of viewpoint. But even in the United States, that aspect is there as well. You know, the issues of femininity, um, the issues of attractiveness to the opposite sex or the same sex, you know, depending on, on who you're making yourself attractive to yep. and depending on what kind of definitions of your own gender and gender identity and sexuality that you're using. Um, yeah, but it's, it's true everywhere, but a lot of it is also about independence and, um, whether, you know, someone is independent 
of their parents or of their partner or someone is just independent on their own and ready to go travel. And I think that that's really scary to a lot of women. Um, that idea of independence can often equal aloneness. And we're so socialized to believe that we should never be alone. And of course, and, and frankly, this doesn't matter what part of the world, but all women are told that, you know, it's, we should grow up and get married and have children. Yeah. Whether you continue to believe that into your adulthood or not is, is, is on the one hand very relevant, but on the other hand, not because, you know, we're still socialized that way as girls. Yeah. And women who are childless and unmarried and living independent lives are often considered quite frightening. Um, and also usually fairly dismissed as like, oh, well, you know, that person didn't succeed in life. They didn't fulfill the definitions of womanhood. So they're not fully a woman. Um, they're uncontrollable and they're often presented as alone. Bridges, you know, and that's it's unfair and it's not true. I've seen women who are in their 50s and 60s who are doing so much amazing work and you're one of them. And I've also seen women who are married with kids and just being absolutely bitter because their partners are cheating or abusive and not supportive. So I think we need to mm -hmm. let go of that belief. I agree. I agree. I mean, I really think it's, it's, you know, again, freedom and independence is really frightening to a lot of people, but self-defense doesn't make you those things. You know, self-defense simply, um, regardless of your culture, self-defense simply helps you disrupt violence as it happens. So the differences in self-defense in different countries and different cultures are kind of based on how women are already defending themselves in those places. This is what I find to be really, really fascinating because I learned so much. There's things that, you know, I grew up learning how to do just, we all learn a form of self-defense as girls just to navigate the world um, in a somewhat safe way as best we can with the tools that we have. But those tools are also subject to the clothes that we wear in our cultures, mm -hmm. the modes of transportation we use, the places we're allowed to go or not go. So for me, as a white American woman growing up in a middle-class family, I had quite a bit of freedom, right? And I can wear trousers in public and I can, you know, do all kinds of things. So the tools and the devices that I created before I learned martial arts to keep myself safe are like a certain kind. But what people use in Uganda are, Uganda are different or what people use in Pakistan are different. So when I was working with, um, on over Zoom, when I was working with some women in rural Pakistan in Sindh, they were explaining me, explaining to me that when they put on, well, the dupata, the, the scarf that women wear, or shawl, really, because it's a pretty big scarf, um, is in itself a type of self-defense. It does sort of protect you from the male gaze as it covers your right. chest and sometimes your head. Right. Yeah. Right. And I thought that that was so fascinating, you know, that so it's, it's, we're all using different things in our different cultures 
as forms of self-defense, not necessarily, you know, physical techniques, but dupata or, um, in Uganda, our trainer was telling us that, you know, when she wears braids, she can use those as self-defense. We use hair as self-defense. Funnily enough, in places where we're allowed to show our hair, obviously in places like Afghanistan or Iran, well, right now in Iran, it's kind of up in the air, but um, you're not going to use your hair as self-defense, but you can use different things. Yeah. The thing with the braids is really interesting. You know, I would not have thought of that. I never would have either because I've had short hair my entire life. Yeah. So I've never, ever been able to use my hair as self-defense in those ways. But because my hair is short, that in itself is a kind of self-defense. Yeah. And I've seen women pull off this androgynous look and feel more comfortable in public spaces. I've seen women right. here as well. Sometimes I have a friend who walks like a man and she also drives a motorbike and she says nobody has ever cat called her because they think she's a man. So right. there's that. Um, but I've also used my hair to, like if I were wearing a, a deep neck, I would use my hair to cover myself if I saw somebody was staring at me, which is sad. Mm-hmm. The onus should not be on the women to um, quote unquote protect themselves. There's a lot of no, yeah, yeah. I agree. It it shouldn't be on us. Um, but it's also interesting that we use, you know, like you use your hair without even thinking about it. Yeah, you know, it's like it, it, So this is what's interesting to me is these different things that women do in different cultures um, to to keep themselves safe from harassment to disrupt violence, um, just different, different tools that I find really fascinating to share. Also, are, what are some of the commonalities? Have you noticed any commonalities common, between women from these? What's that? Cultures? The commonalities, um, in teaching self-defense, I point out that every woman, regardless of her size, knows how to make herself very small, okay. very fast. And every woman I've ever spoken to from every culture understands exactly what I mean which I find also fascinating. But I think the biggest commonality of all in my experience um, is is that women are very well aware that our space is often encroached Mm. upon and that our, the demands for us to be nice is often weaponized against us. We're all aware of it and we're all, annoyed with it <laughs> to put it mildly but you know where the, there's a lot of head scratching like what scratching like what can we do you know so what i've also noticed and the yeah, absolute biggest commonality is that women do not have the body literacy that men and boys have to use our bodies this way so all the women that i've ever taught self defense to are delighted and thrilled that we can defend ourselves in really simple ways that we don't need to learn complicated techniques. We don't need a lot of muscle. We don't need a lot of strength that we actually do it already. And we can, you know, just add a few self-defense, a few physical techniques that are very easy to learn. And so every woman that I've ever met is really amazed at how much power she has. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. You know, the moves that we've learned, cup of coffee here behind the ears, they are such simple moves, but the impact is so great. Um, as well as the balance points, you know, you can topple over anyone with that. You're listening to the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast, hosted on Acast and available on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, and our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com and wherever you get your favorite pods.